This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. Sitting in my hot seat today is an amazing CEO. It's Danny Jenkins, co-founder and CEO of an awesome company, ThreatLocker. ThreatLocker does endpoint protection for zero trust in a way probably the first in the world that nobody else has ever thought of. Danny, welcome to the hot seat. Gary, thank you for inviting me today. So I've been studying you guys uh, for the past year, looking at some amazing things you do for endpoint protection from, you know, storage USB sticks, the risk of that, the zero-day malware, uh, ring fencing that could have stopped the SolarWinds breach. Tell us what you do, how you do it, and uh, how quickly is it uh, to deploy? So uh, essentially what we realized when we started ThreatLocker was you can't find everything that's bad in the world. You can't detect every bad piece of malware. You can't detect every time there's misuse of good software. So we needed to change the way people thought about endpoint security, not from default allow, but to default deny. And, and that really starts with don't let things run that don't need to run in your environment. If, if an executable, if a DLL, if a script file doesn't need to run, don't let it run. And when you do that, you don't just block games and crap and unwanted software, but you block ransomware, you block malware, you block, block IP scanning tools that can be used to catalog your network. And, and that's really the whole pretense of ThreatLocker. It's give everything the least amount of privilege it needs. And when you do that, everyone says, well, is that going to be hard work? Not only is it going to be not hard work, it's actually going to save you time because your SOC alerts are going to go down, your IT problems are going to go down, and everything's going to be better in your life because you're, you're operating on a zero trust basis. And it, it stops false positives. It stops challenges of users doing things they shouldn't do and it stops applications doing things they shouldn't do so in the case of SolarWinds, it didn't need to reach out to the internet so when i mean an attacker built something it put something in the back door of uh essentially created a back door on SolarWinds orion and there was nothing you could do about that i mean you accepted this software you installed it in your environment you trusted it but just by taking away permission from the application we're able to foil exploits of that breach from happening that's amazing. And, you know, one of the things that people tell me is a lot of CISOs are very worried about executive laptops and executive travel, digital executive protection. And, you know, with so many people working from home post-COVID in the hybrid workforce, these are not clean laptops. You know, an executive has never used TeamViewer in their life, but it's, you know, on their computer or their wife or her husband installed a coupon clicking tool in the browser to give them discounts when they're in Amazon and other sites. Isn't this a really risky environment? Well, I think that's what people don't realize is every time you run something on your computer, whether it is a game, whether it's a piece of software, this piece of malware, that data, that program has access to everything that you have access to. It doesn't matter if you're a local admin or not, if you're a finance director, if you're in accounts payable, if you're on support, and you can see these customer files and these financial files, so can that program see them. So when, you, when you're allowing users to do whatever they want, that one is they could inadvertently open malware, which of course create a backdoor or a reverse shell into your environment, but they can also open good tools that can be used against you either through weaponization of the features, but also through vulnerabilities. Like a Chrome extension, most Chrome extensions that we see, coupon clippers, dark mode converters, have access to all of the passwords that you enter on every single website. Now, does that mean they're stealing them? Absolutely not. But if they get compromised or if they turn out to be a malicious actor, then they can do. I'll give you one example. We did a report for a uh, an agency, a government agency recently. And the first thing we said to them was we scanned their machine. We show them all the software that's running and what it can see, what data it can see. Can it see your files? 
there was one Chrome extension on there, which was a dark mode extension. It was on about 35% of their computers. And I asked the IT guy, is this okay? And he said, yes. I said, you know, it can see your passwords. He said, it's not a problem. We want to use it. I said, you know, it's made in Russia. And immediately it's like silence. And it's like, oh, we need to remove that from our machine. And that's the challenge with endpoints. You're not just talking about the bad stuff that might run, but you're talking about the good stuff that might be used or the what the user perceives as good stuff that might be used against you. And as an uh, enterprise product, I assume you have a command center or a dashboard in the back end where we can create rules. And for example, on the ring fencing, we may allow apps to run, but just reduce the risk that they'll do things they're not supposed to do. So we can still have a very productive environment, but we've we've zero trusted the, the, the high risk issues. Yeah. And, and, and the way we start with this is we just learn what you need in your environment. So when we deploy the agent, the first thing we do is say, well, what does this environment need? What is it doing today? And quite often it's doing more than it should. So we say, this is, we're taking the environment as it is, and then we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to say no more stuff comes into this environment without the consent of the IT department or the security department. Now we're going to track updates. So we track all the windows updates, the office updates, the Chrome updates. So if you have those programs, they're going to continue to run for you. And then what you can do is when you want to add something new into the environment, you can say this user wants this program, they can request it and you can approve it. But when you're approving it, we're going to show you the data. We're going to show you the countries it was developed in. We're going to show you who it's funded by. We're going to show you what files it needs to access. And then we're going to limit it. And then we can also pull back your existing environment because inevitably everyone who deploys throughout Arca, even during the POC, they start saying, I need to remove this. I need to remove this. I need to remove this crap old software from my machine that I didn't know was there. And they can pull back and make their environment cleaner. That's great. So clean hygiene for uh, whether it's in the office or remote. And again, back to digital executive protection, all these traveling executives with their laptops, and sometimes they'll leave them in hotel rooms. Would uh, ThreatLocker block an install of somebody, you know, trying to gain physical access? It, it, it won't let anything run, anything installed, and it won't let any programs do more than they need to. Actually, here's a perfect example. I have this uh, rubber ducky here, which is essentially a keyboard that packs a thousand words a minute. And when you plug it in, it will actually run a PowerShell command on your computer. You can make it do whatever you want. But in this case, it control R types CMD and then runs PowerShell and it will loop through all your documents and upload them to the internet just by plugging this device in. Now, we were at a conference in Orlando and we, we, we offered free trips to Florida for anyone who we couldn't steal the data from. And about 15 people came up on stage and one after the other we were, their data was just expelling from their computers and they were running the most advanced EDRs. They were running, one of them even blocked USB drives, but because this is a keyboard, we're able to weaponize PowerShell and steal the data. There's a physical threat to, to the computer as well, but those same commands can run from an office document. Like there was a vulnerability in office last year that could just run the same command and expel all your data zero day just by using PowerShell. So if I have a zero day vulnerability or there's a zero day exploit, neither, you can't exploit a zero day vulnerability if threat lockers on that system and the zero day exploit is not going to function because it's not trusted anyway. 
Yeah, so so a vulnerability is there, and we can't block a vulnerability, but what we can block is behaviors from the application. So yes, can you exploit it? Yes, but what can you do is the question. So the exchange vulnerability last year is a perfect example. The way that worked is you'd, you'd, you'd go in, you'd, conf- you'd change the offline address book URL, on the exchange server and then when a user connected to the offline to download their offline address book it would actually download a file onto the local server and put it in the startup folder now that vulnerability was there we can't we didn't know about it we couldn't take it away but because customers were using threat locker two things happened one is if iis because it was iis not exchange was ring fenced correctly iis wasn't able to write those files to the startup folder so this the threat was stopped there they could technically still gain access to exchange data because IIS needed access to exchange. The second thing is when they try to execute that batch file, which was put, and then later on a PowerShell and an executable, which was ransomware. Essentially what it did was create a batch file, which downloaded a PowerShell, which downloaded another PowerShell, which downloaded ransomware and pushed a group policy out to the entire domain. Within two hours, your whole domain was encrypted. Now, customers that were using um, ThreatLocker, we were able to stop that attack on so many different layers. Now, the vulnerability was still there, and absolutely, you should still patch your server because there's, there's vulnerabilities can gain access to exchange data. But what we're doing is saying the amount of damage that vulnerability is going to be able to do is going to be massively reduced, if not completely kneecapped and not able to do anything. Of course, still patch your servers. That's fantastic. Now, ThreatLocker has... Uh, the ability, I believe, you, you offer some form of uh, auditing uh, or a demo or a, a, a proof of value that clients who've never, you know, they think they're safe with their XDR or their firewall, but they're not. Can they try you out? Absolutely. And this is the first thing we'll do is we'll actually show you just a free audit of your environment. And you can actually test ThreatLocker out fully in a POC. So you don't have to go buy ThreatLocker to test it. So you can download our agent. You come and do a demo. We show you what it looks like. You download our agent, it learns what's in your environment, and then we'll give you a report uh, at the end of a week. And we'll show you everything that's in your environment. And what you'll realize is that there's lots of software that you didn't know about. There's lots of potential vulnerabilities. Someone logs in with their Chrome account, pulls all their Chrome extensions in, and you want to be able to block them. We'll show you where they were developed, what the vulnerabilities are, how they can be used in attack. And then we'll show you how you can mitigate the risk. And in some cases, the risk mitigation is blocking that application, removing that application from your environment. But it could also be something as simple as ring fencing it because we had a customer last week who said, oh, we need to block all Chinese software on our computer. We're not allowed to run Chinese software. Well, half the drivers on their computer were Chinese software. They couldn't block them. Their computer wouldn't function. But we were able to ring fence them and say that this application only has access to this data, which included none of your network shares, none of your documents. It couldn't talk out to the internet. It really hardens the environment and takes away that risk of an application either having a backdoor built into it or a vulnerability that can be exploited. So ring fencing is kind of like bubble wrapping a a weakness, a flaw, or some software that you really need to run, but you just don't know if it has a time bomb where it tries to connect to servers in Beijing or whatever. Yeah, it's really controlling what it can do, bubble wrapping it, but also bubble wrapping everything around it. And the way I like to analyze it is if we use a loudest thing, you don't let anyone in your house you don't trust. It's just simple. But sometimes I let people in my house and I, I don't not trust them, like my daughter's boyfriend, for example, and he's allowed in the house, but I want to limit him to the living room. He's not allowed in my daughter's bedroom. And that's kind of how I analyze ring fencing. You control exactly what it can do. So if it gets compromised, it's like putting crash barriers around the car. It can't come into oncoming traffic. It can just beat the crap out of itself where it is. That's amazing. And and um, I'm just curious, ThreatLocker seems like a platform that can be deployed very, very quickly. And the platform's... Uh 
Windows, Mac, servers, desktops. Can you talk about deployment and platforms? Yeah, so we, we, we support everything from Windows, Mac, and we actually have a, a beta now of uh, various Linux builds as well. And right from the older versions of Windows, if you're running Windows Vista, please, you shouldn't be running Windows Vista, but we'll support all of those right up to the current builds. And deployment, literally, the, the first part of deployment is pushing out an agent. You can do that through Active Directory, through SCCM, any kind of software deployment tools. It takes a few minutes to deploy. Once it deploys, it self-learns. So you don't have to sit there pumping in everything you need. It will self-learn. And then we'll come back a week later and we'll show you this is what's learned in your environment. And we can do even simulations because customers are often very, very scared of this. They say, well, what if it breaks my software? We can do a simulation before we put it into deny mode of what won't be able to run if you're in deny mode, which is really, really nice. And wow. that, that takes away a lot of the risk. That's amazing. I, I didn't know you. So you can simulate it. They, how, how long do they typically need in a simulated mode? So uh, typically a couple of weeks is normally enough. I I've done people as little as an hour. Um, now the problem is you don't simulate much in an hour, but that's normally when someone got hit in their environment, they're doing this in an incident response. And you can use threat locker in incident response. You don't want to, because it's not the time to be using threat locker. It's it was two months earlier than that. Um, I I've seen companies, very sensitive airline, uh, airlines, for example, one of our customers is um, JetBlue. It's a public case study, so I'm not disclosing anything super confidential, but they, they wanted to make sure that nothing was going to get interfered with. They, they, they take planes off, so if something can't take off because or a bridgeway doesn't work or a kiosk doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So in their case, they simulated for 90 days. They were like, we want to make sure 100% that nothing's going to get blocked. And then they locked down over those 90 days, you know, lower risk departments followed by higher risk departments at the end. That's fantastic. Danny, if I were an MSP trying to become an MSSP, uh, or I were an MSSP thinking, well, my XDR is good, but it's really not good enough, wouldn't I want to partner with you? Absolutely. So if, if you're an MSP and you wanted to become an MSSP, or just wanting to harden your customer's environment, just throughout Locker will give you those tools. If you're an IT director and you want to stop your users running things that they shouldn't do, exposing risk, it's very, very easy. And if you're an MSSP, there's two benefits to this. One is you're actually doing proactive things now rather than reacting to alerts and things that will that's going to help you keep your client safe because that's the true definition of success with an MSSP that they didn't have to do anything because everything was stable. And the other thing is it will reduce your SOC alerts because if you, you do have a SOC and we've got threat locker ops which will feed data into your SOC when bad things are trying to happen. But more importantly, you get less alerts because they can't get that, that far down the attack chain. Boy, I don't have to have the uh, the, the noisy alerts uh, and go through you know thousands of alerts to try to figure out what a problem is if we've locked down our environment with zero trust endpoint technology like yours. Uh, yes, and what's interesting about ThreatLocker is, of, of course, we're the first zero tr trust endpoint protection platform. Five years ago, we had no customers, or six years ago, we had no customers. There's about fifty thousand businesses that use ThreatLocker today, and they range from small businesses right up to large businesses like JetBlue, like the U.S. Navy. So you. you you have a lot of range and companies often think, well, maybe this isn't for me, but the reality is it just makes your life so much easier when you control your IT environment and you control your endpoints. And you can use this in combination. If you want to use this in combination with your EDR, you can, or you can just turn off your EDR and use ThreatLocker as the primary defense and then use ThreatLocker ops to report data into your SIM. That is fantastic. Danny, is there anything else you'd like to share with our viewers and listeners that we haven't covered? No, if you haven't had a look at ThreatLocker, just come by, uh, uh, go to our website, book a demo with ThreatLocker and see you see how it works. It doesn't cost anything. You can do a free trial. You can do a free simulation and it will really be enlighten you to the risks that are in your environment.
Yeah, Danny, you are a fantastic CEO in an amazing company. I, I really think I said in our last interview, this is game changing and it should be foundational technology. I really believe everybody needs Threat Locker. So please, you heard it here first. Go to threatlocker.com, try the free simulation, get the free proof of value, proof of concept. You're going to find things you didn't think you had in your environment, and you're going to lock it down and be one step ahead of the next threat. Thank you so much, Danny, for an awesome hot seat once again. Thank you, Gary. You've been listening to Cyber Defense Radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, where InfoSec knowledge is power. Cyber Defense TV and Cyber Defense Radio have launched 24 by 7 by 365 live streams. Visit them online today at cyberdefense.tv and cyberdefense.radio with your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert and my good friend, Gary Malewski. <laughs>